0: In the following live session recording, Sarah Farley, campus minister with the University of Georgia and the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talks about anxiety is the new norm. Students have it, everyone talks about it. In today's angst-driven society, everyone is trying to figure out how to deal with their stress. Stress coping videos are the number one climbing trend on YouTube and the CDC research shows the rise in anxiety among students. This should signal to the church that we need to talk about how to teach students to cope with anxiety. This session will discuss the current trends of how society says to cope and what the church should be doing. Let's join Sarah now.
1: Well, hello, good evening. I'm so um, delighted to be here uh, talking about a topic that is near to my heart because I work with students and deal with this every day. And so um, I wanted to start off Uh, the video, um, this actually I discovered um, ASMR through my niece and my college students. Um, This is something that students will literally sit for hours and watch. Um, You can walk into DCM and sometimes five or six of them will be watching all at the same time one video screen. It's very soothing and relaxing so it's been one of those things that's been interesting um, learning experience for me is learning a little bit more about the um, visual and uh, audio stimuli that they can find online. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of show you. If you're ever walking to the room and you see your students or people that you know online, and they're watching things like this. Know that this is a coping mechanism. This is something that they have uh, discovered that they need to relax. They need something that is stimulating enough. Which now this is Gen Z. They're all about the screen time. So this is a way that they can. Um, relax that they can receive release um, and it's in a way that their brain understands it because it's through technology. So I just wanted to show that to you guys um, so you could see that and know that there are things out there. Do y'all feel relaxed? I know some of y'all are like, oh, I don't know about relax, Sarah, but... Yeah. (laughs) I'm stressing out over it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which you know, that is a great caveat into how I wanted to start tonight off. Um, I think it's important to understand a little bit about the context of why this conversation is so vital at such a time as this. Um, we titled this Anxiety is the New Norm because one in 13 on the planet would ex- say they experience anxiety and they would call it clinical, one in 13 in the planet, okay, 8.2 billion people. That's a big number. That's not historically been the norm, all right? So why is that? The largest generation right now on this planet is Generation Z. Um, There are a couple of breakouts that you'll be experiencing here through Go Georgia here and um, down south that will deal with Gen Z. Uh, I'm gonna give you a little bit of information to help you understand the context of why Anxiety is so big. If you're interested, Barna has some great research. Uh, this is kind of the research that universities are actually looking at, um, which is kind of a fun thing because Barna is Christian-based. But um, Gen Z is what interests me. Okay, we're about to talk about that. So Gen Z. This is actually a big debate right now. Um, Gen Z. Some people, like uh, Tim Elmore, would argue and say it's 96, 97, 98 is the start of Gen Z. Barna and a couple of other universities, and I myself, would fall in would actually say that 99 to 2000 is the start of true Gen Z. Um, I would argue that 96, 97, 98 are the um, kind of residual, they still have some millennial tendencies in them, but they but they have some things that are unique, not completely millennial, that you're kind of saying, well that's an interesting way that you would process that, it's not like everybody else. Um, but I would argue that 99 to 2000 is the, is the start of true 100% Gen Z. Um, Gen Z is the last Generation. If you have um, ever picked up a book in your life, you need to pick this book up. James Emery White, The Rise of the Nuns, and he also Mm -hmm. wrote a book called Meet Gen Z. Um, He is phenomenal and he's kind of the guru right now on on this generation. Uh, He argues that this generation is the last generation because technology tends to help define a generation, and technology, as we know, is rapidly increasing. Um, And so after Gen Z, um, so my nephew who just turned four is not Gen Z, he is gonna be part of the new micro-generations that will exist after Gen Z. Gen Z is being characterized very similar to the greatest generation, Um, and here's why, which I thought was really fascinating. So what defines the greatest generation, right? That was the generation that came out of the Great Depression, that would be my grandfather's generation. Um, My grandfather served in World War II, uh, he was alive as a child in the Great Depression. Um, they, they worked hard. They lived in a world that was full of fear. All right? mm-hmm. There was war going on around them. There were uh, the stock market crash. There was a need for, hung- like they were hungry. There was a need to find food. There was a need to build a community to be able to achieve um, survival. That is, those, those are some of the defining elements of the greatest generation that made them so historically proactive with getting our country up and going um, after the Great Depression. This generation, the greatest generation, is so similar to Gen Z because Gen Z is the first generation to be born in fear. All right, This generation was born after 9-11. Right? They exist after 9-11. They exist after the world of what we call shootings occur. That is a norm for them. This is the first time where we've seen a generation shift it's foundational compass. Up until Gen Z, the foundational compass for global society has been a moral compass. All right, our foundation has been morality. So on Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, I don't know how many of you have ever seen Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, but it talks about you know, hunger, shelter, safety, and then it's uh, spiritual, relational. Right, there's, a, there's a hierarchy of needs that every person needs. Um, up until Generation Z, our foundation has all been moral. It doesn't matter if you believed in Jesus or not. There was something that guided your moral compass. Lying was wrong or right. Killing was wrong or right. It didn't matter what you believed spiritually. Um, you were not as interested in safety. You were interested in food and relationships. That's kind of what has defined all the generations up until Gen Z. Gen Z, their foundational compass, their foundational societal platform that they build off is safety. It is not morality. So lying, this is why you'll see in research, I gave you just a few pieces of research. You'll understand now why that for Gen Z, lying is okay. There's not a right or wrong, it's am I safe or not? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So the foundation of Generation Z is am I safe? It is not what is right or what is wrong. So for us in the church, that is 100% different than anything we've ever dealt with before. And I'm a millennial. Actually, I'm kind of like a zennial weird thing in there. But even for me, this is a different shift. Because even for millennials, it's still what's right or wrong. Relativism, what's good for you, what's right for you, is right for you. It could be wrong for you. But that's not the case anymore. With Gen Z, I'm going to say it one more time, it is, am I safe? What is safe? All right, so it, line can be okay if it creates safety for me if it creates safety for you. Stealing something can be okay if it creates safety for me, safety for you. Which is an interesting thing because this generation is actually, I laugh and said for the first time, us at Southern Baptists in the generation are actually going to have merged together because they are typically by our standards more moral than anyone else. That's because safety is at the root. So they're less likely to do drugs, less likely to drink, Less likely to smoke, less likely to have sex. Because once again, it's not is it right or wrong, but if it's safe. And we live in an environment where drugs are rampant. It's destroying <coughs> lives. I had a conversation with a student yesterday in my office whose mother just was arrested for meth. I mean, it's, it's destroying. These, these kids are in and He's Gen Z. I guarantee you he's never going to do drugs. That's something we talked about. He's not going to do it. It's, it's dangerous, it's not safe. Sex, well because of the rampant STDs, mm-hmm. it's not safe. Sexual assault, so we're gonna remove ourselves from those situations, but it's not safe. They are tend to be more pro-life because mm-hmm. that's safety, that's saving a baby, that's saving a life. So it's kind of funny that with the shift of our foundational compass, It's going to be interesting to see how they're going to be more intrigued with who we are as believers and Jesus followers and traditionally who we are as Southern Baptists. One of the things that holds us as Southern Baptists together is the Cooperative Program. Kind of like the greatest generation, the need for community, for survival, for safety, that is coming back up with Gen Z. Yes, they are more digitally connected than anyone else in the world. They're on YouTube, not just on the internet. They're on YouTube an average of eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. But they desire community. Mm -hmm. They desire cooperating and doing things together. Mm -hmm. That's why this generation is so unique. Because it's like your grandpa switched back into a time where he knows what the iPhone is all about. Like It's kind of fun. But, um, But because of that, because of this whole shift with safety, anxiety is high. All right? they are born into a world where it is full of anxiety. They are born to my four-year-old nephew came home from his first day of school because they had sh- and they talked about shooter protection. It's my four-year-old nephew. Four years. I would never have that conversation when I was four. But the new norm for them is any day now. We just had two weekends ago. How many shootings did we have in one weekend?
2: Too.
1: when you walk onto an airplane, you are now more likely to experience a terrorist attack. When you go to school, you are more likely, it's like 97% more likely to encounter a shooter, incident. not they, they live in a world that's full of anxiety. And one of the things that has become very dangerous in this world of anxiety is parent involvement. And here's why I say this. Um, we, we actually have a name right now, so for millennials, it was the helicopter parent or the tiger parent, you know? Well, for Gen Z, it's the lawnmower parent. And what the lawnmower parent does is the lawnmower parent rides in front of their child with a lawnmower and takes out every single thing that will cause them to experience real-life stress, will cause them to fail, cause them to bump up against anything uncomfortable, So what is happening is, all these students are now arriving to the real world in a university setting and they're bumping up against things that should be normal. You should have stress going into a test. That's normal. You should have a lot of stress if you didn't study going into a test. That is normal. That is not anxiety. That is normal. You should have stress if you were getting ready to graduate from college and for the first time and 22 years, your next step is not planned for you. That, that's normal stress. But what has happened is, there has not been any micro protections and micro experiments given to them in their developmental ages to be able to handle stress. So when it, they bump up against little things, so it becomes anxiety. And I want to make sure that we're very clear on the difference between stress and anxiety. Anxiety is a very real thing. Anxiety is clinical. Right now, approximately 8% of children and teenagers experience an anxiety disorder, and most of them will develop symptoms before 21. This comes out of the CDC's website. Y'all, that's a very high number for children. Anxiety disorders can manifest themselves in a lot of different ways between OCD, ADHD, all of those fall underneath the umbrella of anxiety. Um, Cutting falls underneath anxiety. Um, Eating disorders and body image issues all fall underneath anxiety. The The beautiful thing about anxiety disorders underneath the mental branch is that they are treatable all right but as practitioners whether you are over a Sunday school group whether you work with a small group whether you have children whether you are in nursery um your job is to help create an environment where people can understand the difference between actual anxiety disorders and then stress and you are to create an environment where it's open to talk about and to communicate the one thing the church has not done well Is to have open conversations About the hard topics um, Whether it's addictions Anxieties we, we do not create environments for conversations For safe spaces um, I gave you a packet um, This is just some statistics about Gen Z One of them talked about the word safe space Is normal verbiage For a Gen Zer They understand that word safe space That is, that is part of the vernacular From the time they walk. They understand what the word safe space means, which is kind of a scary thing, but they understand that. But one of the things that is important is that they find a safe space in your church, in your community. Talk about their anxiety, and you can help them ask the questions to figure out, is this something that's an anxiety that is a disorder that needs a counselor? Or is this stress that's manifested as anxiety but they don't have anyone to talk to about it? it's important to understand your role. So doctors have the Hippocratic Oath, you know, do no harm, all right? Well, we in the church, as Jesus followers, should also practice that when we are over um, people in a th- over places of authority or over teaching, do no harm. Um, and this can happen with anxiety. Anytime you notice a, a student, a child that has started to Um, develop a tick or develop a sensory issue, and and I gave you stress balls to hold and everything because the one thing that we've noticed with anxiety is students have started to develop um, a need to grab something, to hold something in their hand, a need to have movement, a need to grab a hold of something that deals with the sensory, which is why I was showing the video. Um, This goes back to the developmental stages of a child in their development Um, Your brain connects synapses, right? And it teaches you, you know, this is wrong, this is right, this is how you process anger, this is how you process joy, this is how you process sadness. Those things all happen in developmental stages. But one of the things that the university, uh, there's a university collective between um, medical facilities and Harvard kind of heads it up for research. And when they did research, they were noticing that one of the things that has happened with Gen Z is that the more screen time they have in the developmental stages, the less likely those synapses are occurring correctly.
2: Mm.
1: All right, so as those synapses that process normal emotions, that process self-soothing techniques that are normal in stages of development, one of the things that we're noticing is that's that's changing. All right, and so as they're coming into middle school and high school, they're developing different ways of self-soothing. So one of the things that you need to start looking at is how are your students self-soothing when they bump up against hard things or uncomfortable things? Are they pulling out their hair? Are they twisting it? Are they withdrawing and standing there with their clothes doing this or doing this? Are they chewing on something? The number of chewers in middle school has gone up. Are they chewing on stuff? Do they have something in their hand constantly? Have they gravitated toward those fidget wheels? You need to start looking for those things. Are they cutting? Are they self-harming? Are they becoming more violent? You need to start noticing those things because a lot of times those can be misinterpreted. A lot of times that is just a first level of unhealthy, understanding anxiety and stress. And so that would be where you would need to sit down with the parent and the student and just start asking some questions. I tell people all the time, one of my biggest jobs as a campus minister is that I just ask questions. You ask questions. How are they feeling? How are they coping? What's going on in their life? Those are the questions that are very important. And you guys are on the front lines. And this is something that we are trying to grab a hold of as believers because the world is running away with it with medication and with saying, hey, we'll figure it out later, just deal with it, just stuff it, just stuff it, just stuff it, or like in universities, which is great, but we don't have enough, we'll get you into counseling, but right now, my university, there's a four month wait for counseling, all right? That's not, And we've seen the rise of suicide because they don't know how to express their emotions, they don't know how to handle Stress. They don't know what to do when they develop anxiety. And so that is one of the contributing factors to the rise of suicide. So for you, you guys, y'all are on the front lines just as much as we are on a university campus. Why the uptick? Unstable homes. We know that God had a plan for families. We saw that at the very beginning. But what happened? Sin broke the world. And when sin broke the world, sin broke families we have a growing number of students that are in unstable homes. They do not have healthy parents, even if it's, and I'm not gonna sit here and say anything because I, bless you, um, I'm, I'm currently in a single parent home. There are a lot of healthy single parent homes, but the problem is you have an increasing amount of unstable either two parent or single parent homes, unstable. And when the parent is unstable, the child is unstable. So you need to decide how you're gonna handle that in your sphere. And you already know some of those kids that have unstable, ha- home, unstable homes and families. So you are already able to kind of get on the forefront of knowing because there's an unstable environment at home, they're gonna manifest that differently here. So the kid that is trying to, which this is old, you all know this, the kid that's trying to get your attention, he's going to figure out how to get your attention. And it may be in the wrong way, but he's just looking for love and acceptance. At the core of everyone we're all looking for love and acceptance. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what country you're from, you're all looking for love and acceptance. And if you can't find that in a stable, an un- unstable home, you're going to find that wherever you can. The church needs to be need the place where they can find it. So That's my uh, charge to you guys. You need to become the stable home for the family of God that that child needs. Societal issues. We kind of already talked about this. They are completely surrounded by fear. Just turn on the news. I mean, the number of terrible stories, it can drive anyone's anxiety up. That's all they know. Imagine every day walking into school... Knowing that your school could be the next one on the news, it could be your parents that get the phone call that there's a shooter in in your school. This happens every day. Cultural pressures and shifting. One of the big things that we see Generation Z grab a hold of is they don't see color. They don't see color, which is very biblical and refreshing. So they do not understand when millennials and boomers and busters see color. They don't understand that. And we can see that play out right now in our nation. You're seeing a growing shift and an underbelly, a rise of, wait a second, there's something wrong with this picture still. Gen Z does not see color. In fact, they think it's strange when there's not enough color in the room. Another step further, Gen Z does not understand the struggle with gender. Gen Z is more likely to struggle with sexual identity because what is starting to happen is we are starting to take gender and sexual identity and make it the end-all be-all of who you are. Um, I'm gonna give you a name of a phenomenal resource. His name is Ricky Chalette with Living Hope out of Texas. And he deals with um, a lot of gender sexuality issues. Um, he does some great stuff for parenting. But one of the things his research has shown is if a child in the developmental stages is not shown the right affection and affirmation, no matter if they don't meet a stereotype or not, if they're not shown that, if they grab a hold of those unhealthy labels, that once again, that brain synapses, they can start to develop some unhealthy patterns. One of the things that we talk about on a college campus all the time, uh, there was a nationwide study done by that medical group, um, Harvard being the lead out in it. One in four students will walk onto the university campus that have been sexually abused or assaulted. One in four. It is not a secret that students that struggle with sexuality issues and gender issues have been, uh, there's a trend where a large majority have been sexually abused or assaulted. But the world right now is saying it's okay to question. It's okay to be whatever. And the church is saying, wait a second. The only one that can label you is your manufacturer and your purchaser. This is a talk that we give to our students all the time. Um, Nike. Alright, this is Super simple. You can use this. I promise. Use this. This is a great thing to use when you get home. Talk to your students about this. All right. Nike is the only one that can put their check on a, on a profit mm-hmm. because they are the manufacturer. Now Georgia can come in and purchase the Nike check and put it on their Georgia gear. Alright? No one else can. So the manufacturer and the purchaser can put the knife in the chip. That's the only one that can put that label on anything. God is our manufacturer. Jesus is our purchaser. The only label that can stick to you is the label that God gives you, which is his child. So if you're dealing with students that are struggling with the anxiety of, who should I like because culture is saying it's okay to like I'm, I'm in puberty I, I'm all these hormones culture is saying it's okay to like boys and girls it's okay to not have to figure all that out like just let it all happen grab it all I mean once their hearts are gone through so many changes and culture is saying this is all good this is all cool all these labels you can grab a hold of it's important for you in these developmental stages and you know, we're not talking about high school, middle school. Now we're talking about elementary school. To we'll start telling them the labels that can stick to them are the only labels that are given by their manufacturer and their purchaser. So start young with them and give them that hope so when they hit that stress and that peer pressure, they don't fall apart and they don't become one of the big things that we struggle with. Um, and breaks my heart is the rise of suicide among middle schoolers. And it's not a surprise when you've given everything that they are going through, everything that the world is telling them, deep down everything, they, they're, they're like, there's something that's not fitting us, but no one's giving you direction. So start young with telling them who can give them their label. Medical shifts in family dynamics. One of the biggest reasons why we have so many students struggling with anxiety um, is because... There are a lot of them are dependent on medications at very young ages. And um, it's interesting, the CDC just released a study. and, um, and He's getting the email address and I'll send out some of these links to some of these studies so you can see them. But the rise in medications in developmental stages, all right, once again, those synapses are so important as they're being um, created. So that's interfering with some of that, all right. So, um, and then environmental impacts. That goes back to health and wellness. This is the this generation is super healthy. I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but they talk about some of these the trends with food. But, you know, there's there's a lot of companies that are starting to kind of notice that this Gen Z has the largest buying power in the world. They are the largest consumers now. They are the largest generation, and they're shifting their tastes. Um, it was funny. They're talking about hot sauce and jalapenos are on the rise because taste buds are shifting away from sweet to hot which is interesting, so environmental impacts, um, scholastic shifts, uh, the pressure of a student. I get them when they come in as freshmen and they're throwing up on that first day because their parents have told them what their major is but they realize that that's not what they want to do. I'm seeing them, there, you know, month two when at eighth grade they were told, this is what you should be, this is what it looks like you're good at Here's your projection. These are the expectations we have for you. Now, go and do it. I'm getting them when they're trying to figure out, can I even keep Zelle? Because of the money situation back at home. These students come in with all of these expectations that cause so much stress and anxiety that they don't know what to do with it. So a lot of times it'll turn and manifest into a disorder, an abusive situation, or suicide. (coughs) University suicides are up 13% right now. So one of the best things that you can help in your context back at home is encouraging parents and encouraging kids as they're coming in from school, it is okay not to know your 25 year life plan at the age of 10. It is okay that a test does not define who you are. Once again, that goes back to the label. And it is okay if you cannot keep a 3-7. A 3-5 is just as acceptable. Or a 3 Or you're not going to school and going to trade school. That is just as acceptable. It is so important to help them. And one of the things I and Joe... Joe is also a big proponent of personality tests. Um, One of the things I think is important for you guys as you're helping students as they're developing um, in their younger years, is to help them understand their personality. So I'm a big fan of Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs tells you not only about how you um, get energy, introvert, extrovert, a lot of times there's a lot of um, misconceptions and understandings about extroverts and introverts. It's not about how loud or quiet you are, it's about how you get energy. Those are important for students to understand young as they're developing that. It also helps you understand how you receive information and how you give out information, right? It's important for for students now to understand those things. Another one, I'm a huge fan of the Enneagram. Um, This is the book, uh, The Road Back to You. Um, Ian Crone is a minister, and um, the Enneagram is actually based off of uh, research done by the silent monks generation like centuries ago and it comes back to helping you understand uh, the way you handle stress, the way you handle when life conflict comes at you based off your personality. Um, another great one which I think is a good one is the disc um, and there's another one which is just a fun one which is the of animals, the golden retriever, the lion, the otter. The reason why I think this is important for y'all to start doing now and not just when like we do this in college with students all the time it's important to start helping children and parents understand how to navigate the way their child is created how, how to navigate if you are an extrovert for me real stress is being by myself for a long period of time I'm a high E alright people often are like Sarah go rest I'm like well this is resting for me I'm a high E so what would throw me in distress and anxiety may not throw Ryan in distress and anxiety. The way I handle conflict is based off of my personality. I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which means I don't I don't hold on, I'm a I'm a flash in the pan. I might get mad for a hot second and then I don't remember it two weeks later I'll come like done. Whereas a three might remember it for twenty five years. <laughs> so helping people understand the way they handle life based off their personality is going to be important when it understands how to deal with stress. So if you've never done personality tests, sorry, um, I want to encourage you guys to do them because they're very um, useful tools and in fact I just finished listening to a podcast where a bunch of parents were saying that they wish they had learned about the Enneagram earlier in their parenting life because they would have recognized how to parent each child differently because of their personalities and the way they interact with them. So that might be something you want to look at when you're working with parents is helping them understand how to handle a personality so they can help them understand stress. Um, normal stress, uh, helping them understand that in developmental stages there's normal stress. All right, We're all adults here, okay? So for a young girl, helping her understand developmental stress as she encounters her period is important. That is not the end of the world. Does, that should not create mental anxiety. That should create normal stress. Helping a boy who's trying to figure out if he's gonna go the sports route or the artistic or the STEM route, that is not anxiety. That should not be a level 10 anxiety issue. That should be a normal stress level issue. So helping your parents and your students understand that in certain stages of development, there should be normal stress. That's normal. You should have those those feelings, the tightness in the chest. Like that. That's normal. Right. That's that's a life. That happens. Um, when there is loss and death in different developmental stages, helping them understand those feelings are normal. That is not a disorder. Stages of life. Helping that high schooler understand. You've been living at home now for 18 years. You're about to go live with someone completely different that you don't even know. That's normal stress. That is not anxiety. That should not create anxiety to where they're sitting, cowering in the back and forth, throwing up, cannot move.
2: Watching that is, soap videos.
1: Yes, watching soap <laughs> videos. Yes, yes, absolutely. Finances. Helping students understand that finances, that is normal stress. What happens is when it, what you start to see with anxiety is when a student has this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue. When all those issues build up, then it becomes anxiety. And then that is when we have a mental crisis. So helping a student understand that, helping parents understand when you have X, Y, and Z happening, then that's anxiety. But if you just have X happening, that's good. Don't remove them from that situation. Providing opportunities for them to fail is, is a very healthy thing. I'm gonna tell you right now, if you have not provided your students with opportunities to fail, then you have not set them up to be able to handle normal stress later. Please, please, please provide them opportunities to fail. One of the biggest things that we talk about when we talk to students about how to share their story, um, about their encounter with Jesus, is not to use the word mistake for sin. It's okay to have mistakes. Mistakes are what you learn from. Sin is different. So helping your students understand that it's okay to make a mistake and to fail at something. It's okay if you tried something and it just didn't work out. I'm gonna be honest with y'all. If no one told me that at five, two and a half, I wasn't going to be able to be an NBA basketball player for the WNBA, now I might have tried to succeed in that. I don't have any basketball attack. So it's okay to be real with some of your students about some things and allow them to experience disappointment. That's important and that is teaching them normal stress. You've got to help teach them normal stress because they're not learning at home, they're not learning at school the church is a place where they can learn it in a very safe space in a biblical environment personality and behavior like I said it's so important to help students understand their personality God gave them that you can't change what God created you can manipulate it you can enhance it you can hide it but you can't ever erase it and so it's hel- it's so helpful to have them understand who they are and how their personality can define the way they encounter stress, how their personality can help them with conflict, with failure, how how when they are in a situation they can understand and give grace in the gaps instead of suspicion. Understanding who they are is very important on how they're going to deal with stress and anxiety. So. I want to encourage you guys to, to dive into some of that back at home. Um. If you guys do not do parenting seminars at your churches, I want to encourage you to do that. There's a lot of people out there that are parenting that have that have no idea what they're doing. If you go and do some research for adults, what do you think the number one topic is that adults buy? It's not your question. Self-help self-help. Well, no, no, number two is parenting. Parenting. So the church has such an opportunity to engage their community by providing parenting classes that teach parents how to allow their student to have healthy failures, healthy encounters of conflict, understanding how to handle labels, understanding how to deal with stress, and then to how to understand if your child does have an anxiety disorder. Because anxiety disorders are real and they do need help. Asking the questions. Please, 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 please become a question asker. That's so important. And you don't have to be the best speaker in the world. You don't have to be the smartest person. And you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to ask the questions because a lot of times they don't understand how to even start talking until someone asks a question. And I always tell my students, what's inside always comes out. You get to choose how it comes out. It's either going to come out as an addiction. It's either going to manifest itself out as an illness. It's going to manifest itself out in anxiety disorders. Or you can choose to let it come out and artistic and verbal and relational patterns that are healthy. So helping them know how to do that by asking questions. Acknowledging and sifting. Acknowledging behavior is so important. We in a church are really guilty about stuffing things or hiding things in the closet. But acknowledging situations and sifting them, it's important. We see that throughout the Bible, the hello, God sifted all the time. There's a thing called a remnant. He was always doing that. It's important for us to acknowledge behavior, to acknowledge when there are things going on, and then to sift through it. Communication. It's important to teach your people to communicate. Communication can be hard, but this generation, they don't know how to, but they want to. I gave you some of those statistics in there because it's important to understand that this generation craves good communication and just communication in general. Acceptance and encouragement. We live in a, co- in a country in a day and age where that word acceptance is a little scary. There is a difference between acceptance and affirmation. Jesus called all to follow him. He died for all of us. He accepts us as we are. And we believe that Jesus can change anyone. I mean, I believe that. Whether he died, anyone that can predict his own death and resurrection, I believe, can change anyone. He can change Manasseh's life. He can change our lives. That's why I always tell my students, listen. There's no one above Satan. Accepting students where they're at and not creating them a safe place to ask them the questions. Listen. I'm going to bring up the, the sticky topic because it's sticky. When it comes to gender and identity, they're not, they're not in a place where they're trying to get married. They're not in a place where they have any ability to fight for rights. They're in a place where they're struggling with labels that have been given to them because they want to be loved and accepted. So it's your job to give them a label of child of God. And it's your job to disciple them. And it's Jesus' job to change and work in their lives. But they need a safe place to do that. They need encouragement. And they're not getting it home, and they're not getting it at school. So this is the place we are, that hope. And they need that more than ever did you know that this is the first generation that does not believe that jesus is who he said he is this is the first step that we are going into post christendom we have a chance to start to try to change that back by the way that we treat students by the way that we acknowledge who they are and what they need and they need jesus and they need to fail and they need to experience normal stress and so create those environments in your churches and in your families in your communities. And then counseling. I'm a huge proponent for counseling. I think everyone belongs in counseling. It's just, you need somebody who is a third party, completely objective person in your life to ask you questions and to help you sift through stuff. And a lot of these students who are trying to figure out if they actually have anxiety disorders that need medication or if they're just going through a lot of stress in life and they have no one to process it with, Sometimes, if you can't figure that out, get them into a counselor. So if you don't know some godly Christian counselors in your community, I encourage you in your church to do some research and start a list. Because these students need to talk. They need to talk to somebody, and they need to talk to somebody who knows how to deal with it, especially if you think that there's suicide involved or suicidal tendencies, which we're on the increase of. And so if there's even a question in your mind, if you see body self-harm, That is one of the first stages moving towards suicide is when they start to self-harm. Go on and get them into counseling. When you start to see a complete withdrawal, a complete personality change, you're spending more time with these students often than their parents. You start to notice a drastic shift in their personality, you get them into counseling, you get them help. Because there is something very wrong that's happening there. Community, create that community and affirm their emotions and their experiences. A lot of these students are coming out of terrible experiences. They need to, they need to be acknowledged. Um, how many of y'all have done ministry safe? Have y'all done ministry safe in your churches? If you have not done ministry safe, it's a, a phenomenal program um, for training uh, volunteers on um, dealing with uh, predators and dealing with abuse. Um, how to spot children that are abuse victims and how to spot other volunteers or adults that might be predators. It's great stuff. But in there, he talks about, it is very rare that a child lies about hard issues. Children do not make up stories of abuse. Children do not make up stories when they have been the victim. It is a very rare, rare, rare case. It is more likely that they are actually telling the truth so affirm and acknowledge those experiences when they talk to you. Affirm their emotions if they're hard emotions and you're like, I don't this is this is a lot. Don't reject a child's emotions. Don't reject a child's shared experience they're telling you. They need a safe place to land. Because otherwise they're going to turn to somebody who is not trustworthy. Or something. So you guys are on the front lines. I know I just threw a lot of doom and gloom at you, but be encouraged that this generation, more than any other generation, wants and needs the church. They don't understand it. I had a conversation with a student this past fall, well, 2018, or 2019, 2018, I stayed in there as a basketball player from Atlanta We're talking, we're doing the great exchange, and I asked him, so do you have a spiritual background, a religious background? He goes, no. So what do your parents know? No? Okay, so what do you think about God? Never really thought about him. Okay. Well, do you know who Jesus is? I mean, I've heard of him. Okay. Well, let me ask you the question then. If you died tonight, what would happen? I've never really thought about it. Okay. Well, what do you think would happen? And you could tell, he just kind of was like, huh. And he goes, well, I guess I would turn to dirt. And he, he saw my face, and I was kind of like, he goes, did I say something wrong? And I said, I think that's probably the saddest thing I've ever heard. And he, he kind of stopped for a second. And goes, you know, that really is very sad. He said, yeah, but i got some good knees for you. Let me tell you some good knees. You don't, you don't turn to dirt. <laughs> there's, there's so much need now, and so much darkness because of the absence of light. You guys get to be the light. And hopefully, as y'all are working in your churches and in community or your families, you're doing some of that so when they come to the university, it's a different story than what we're seeing now. Because what we're seeing now is really hard. I average five to six students a day dealing with conversations about stress and anxiety. I have one little girl that, she she's on my leadership now, but. I, last year, I had to walk with her to class for every test because she would throw up every single time she would stop and think about it. These are real things. But we get to be part of helping them figure out how to cope. How to have the tools to process, to realize that, sweetheart, it's okay if you don't make an A. Your parents aren't going to disown you. Your parents aren't going to hate you less. You may not get into vet school the first round. You might get in the second round. You might take you an extra step. It's okay if you get a B. You could still get into vet school with a B. There's so much out there and that need you guys. More than ever, you have a role to play as part of the family of God that can make a difference, not just in your community, not just on our university campuses in our state, but globally, because these students, Gen Z, they have the most buying power, that this will be the generation that changes the world. I mean, they truly will be. They won't be like millennials, they'll be flaky. These these, these kids are super committed, and they'll do five things at once, and they'll do them all really, really well. (coughs) So we have the opportunity to engage this group and help them be The best Jesus followers they can be and the healthiest Jesus followers they can be from a young age. So I want to encourage you just to take some of this research, home, look at it. You can kind of see, we'll walk through it real quick. Um, Parents, um, I think this is an interesting thing for you to look at as you're looking at things. Um, This is half of Gen Z say their parents are their primary role. That's a big deal, only half. All right, two in five teens interact with people who are Which different from them. On. Oh, sorry, I'll back the page down. All right, so it's important to understand that your role is so important because they no longer look at their parents as their primary person in their life. Um, out of 69 million children and teens in Gen Z, just 4% say they have a biblical worldview. I wanna read that number again, 69 million. Only 4% would say they have a biblical worldview. One-third of teens say gender is how a person feels inside, not their birth sex. Many believe happiness is defined by financial success, which goes back to why the expectations and anxiety when they come onto the university campus to get that job. You want to know why the rise of STEM majors are so popular? It's because that's where the money is. Finances are very important. That's why I said they will do four or five jobs and they will do them well and they will not flake. They will not flake at them. Because that defines their success and it defines who they are. Looking at Gen Z at a glance on the next page, teens, 13 to 18 year olds are twice as likely as adults to say that they are atheists. About half of Gen Z is non white. Half say happiness is their ultimate goal in life. More than half of teens use screen media four or more hours per day. One-third reports of being bullied online. Well, there's some just good things that you should know because that defines the way they look at anxiety and the way they look at stress. Looking at other people's posts often make me feel... Look at the next page. This is page 20 on that. Looking at other people's posts often makes me feel bad about the way I look. All right, Gen Z, thirty-one percent. Their image is so important. So Instagram is where they go to get affirmation. Instagram is the happy place. Twitter is the negative place. I don't know if, you, if you've noticed that, but if you got a beef or you want negative stuff, you go to Twitter. If you want anxiety and stress, you go to Facebook, which most of G- Gen Z—they only are on Facebook for their parents' sake. They're not really on place They've got four Instagram accounts mm-hmm. and Snapchat.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you <coughs> never if you don't know this, I guarantee if you have a student, I, t- I promise you, the Instagram account they share with you is not their own Instagram. Mm-hmm. They have a fake Instagram. Fence.
2: Yep, Fence. They have a fake Instagram.
1: Fence. And they have two or three Snapchats. So I'm just telling you right now, don't be naive. Hmm. They they are they're 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 on all things. But it's interesting because Instagram is where it's positive. Which is why it trends more Gen Z. They're looking for positive affirmation. I had one student stand outside my office when I was at LSU two years ago. And she stood out there for two hours taking pictures. And she finally took, posted one and said, 197 pictures later, found the perfect shot. Like, she was being funny, but it was real. They want to project an image that's positive so people will like them because that's what matters to them. So you can help them understand that it's okay if you don't always project the most filter picture out there. It's okay if people see the mess. It's okay. Because you cannot live life in constant filters. That creates stress and that's gonna create anxiety and then all of a sudden they're not gonna know what to do when they can't find the right image to put up there. They fall apart. There are six trends that Barna has identified that are powerfully at work to create the ethos for this generation. They are screen agers, all right? They live on their screen. That's why, like I was showing that video, that is sensory for them. Their worldview is post-Christian. We've been saying this for generations now that it's coming. Europe was there, this is coming, it's here. Gen Z is post Christian. If you wanna learn more about that, read read the rise of the nuns. I think it's out there. And it, 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 it really is. The first time I heard it I was like like in you I was at LSU a Catholic country, and I was like, The nuns, like they're rising up, what's happening? <laughs> but no. <laughs> it really is none of the above. And they're not angry. They don't hate God. They just don't know. And they really don't, I mean, there's no knowledge of it, so they don't care. They're apathetic because they don't know. Safe spaces are normal. Real safety is a myth. They are diverse, and their parents are double-minded. So when you look at that as this generation, you can understand why stress and anxiety is so... Prevalent, and that's why it's important for us to engage that and to recognize it's a real thing. On the well, last page, do you double-minded? so double-minded. So, the majority of parents are busters and millennials. Millennials are—it's—it's it's not a secret that they're they're the like it's the whole generation. They'll say one thing and they'll do another thing. I'm a millennial, so I can say that. <laughs> you
2: know,
1: don't drink. But I'm over here having a glass of wine. Don't smoke, but I'm going to go smoke a cigar with my buddies and play poker. Don't have sex, but I'm living with my boyfriend. Double-minded, they're getting two different messages all the time. The church, Jesus loves you, but we don't love you. Jesus died for you, but we don't really care. It's double-minded. That's what they come. So they get all these mess- messages. On that last page, who I am and what matters most. And I say this going back to this is why it's so important for us to deal with stress and anxiety. My sense of self is so important. If you look this, you'll see Gen Z, Gen X, Millennials, and Boomers. If you're looking at my sense of self being the most important thing for Gen Z professional educational achievement 43% Mm -hmm. so when they come onto my campus they're going to class, they're not cutting class they're doing all the things because they're achievers and there's expectations there and that's part of who they are it's becoming the definition and the label they grab a hold of. So then when they fail at it, it drives them into depression, anxiety. Hobbies and pastimes, 42%. I mean, I want you to look at these numbers, it's fascinating. Gender and sexuality. For Boomers, 31. For Gen Z, sorry, Gen X, that's 28. Millennials, that's 31. For Gen Z thirty-seven percent. It is important to their self, their gender and their sexuality. Their friends, thirty-five percent. Their family, going back to stress. This is fascinating. This is why you get the opportunity to step in the gap. For boomers, alright, forty-six percent, Gen X forty, millennials forty, Gen Z only thirty-four percent. That's a big deal, y'all. Their families and their parents only are 34% for their sense of self. So you guys have an opportunity to step in as the church, as the others, as their friends to help them define their self because they're not looking to their parents. Religion. This is fascinating. Once again, 43 for boomers. Gen X, 34. Millennials, 32. But look, Gen Z, 34. They're intrigued. That goes back to the more their sense, you know, for morals, now it's safety, how it lines up with what they can do. Race, ethnicity, 23, 22, 22, 23. It's huge. Religion, I'm from, only 21%. Social economic class, only 13%. They don't care about class. It's fascinating. Politics, I want you to look at that number. Only 13%. Fascinating. Topics parents feel unprepared to discuss with teens. Going back to safety. This deals with stress and anxiety. Protecting your teen from harmful influence. Only 27% of Christian parents. That's Navigating social media. Answering tough questions about Christianity balancing, allowing your teens to have freedom and having rules and expectations, discussing sexuality, discussing spiritual, moral relativism, talking about and engaging with cultural issues, teaching your teen the foundation, beliefs, and none of the above. Yeah. I'm just saying, is you guys have an opportunity to do some things that are really needed for this culture, really needed in the formation of the future of the church. And it's kind of exciting because this generation wants it and needs it. And you guys, more than ever, the church is in a place. I mean, it really is that whole, like, for such a time as this. The church is in a place and has an opportunity to change a generation, to save students, to help them become healthy and holistic Jesus followers. And so I'm excited about what this means for you guys. Um, on the back page, I did uh, put something in here for you for anxiety and depression, top list of problems teens see among their peers. Um, just so that you know where this is hitting. Uh, anxiety and depression is the major problem that they see among their peers, 70%. So this is where students are at right now. They acknowledge it, they know it. They're struggling with it. Twenty six is a minor problem. see as not a problem. Over bullying, over drug addiction, over drinking, over poverty, over pregnancy, over gains, anxiety and depression. So you guys have an opportunity to really engage a felt need that's so important right now. Something that no one else is doing, that the church gets to lead out of. So, I hope this has helped. I know I'm getting towards the end. I wanted to kind of leave some time for question and answers. Come on in. Hmm. Pop in. Um, So, do you have some questions or any thoughts you want some clarity on anything? I knew I threw a lot at you. Would
0: you the idea of ghosting?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so ghosting is huge, and I'm also a ghoster. I've done that before. Um, So, one of the reasons why I think it's important that we help students understand what stress is about is how you deal with conflict. And how do you dip, bump up when you bump up against people that you don't agree with, or you don't like, or you have an issue with? Right now, the biggest way that students handle that is it's called ghosting. They just walk away from it. They completely shut it out of their lives. All right. So they will defriend them. They will hide them. In fact, some of them don't even want to defriend because they're like, well, I don't want to see you defriend. So they'll just mute them all. They'll just block them. And you guys, that is not the way to handle conflict. But what we're doing is we're creating a whole culture of like, I'm just walking away from the problems. Because I don't know how to bump into it. I don't know how to sit down and have conflict conversations. I don't know how to sit there and address, okay, we don't agree on the same things, but how can we be friends? Or you know what, what you said to me was really hurtful, and I feel like you're bullying me. How do I deal with that? How do I not be your friend? and have that conversation. Like how do I say, hey, what you did is not right so we can't be friends instead of just do what we go through. But we we aren't teaching people how to deal with conflict. So the way they handle that stress when they bump into it is just shut it off and walk away. The problem is that's a pattern they're developing so when it comes to real Mm. relationships, parent relationships, sibling relationships, future spouse relationships, their own children. It'll be easy for them to ghost them yeah. than it is to work through the conflict or to deal with that stress. So yes, ghosting is a huge epidemic right now. Oh, because, and I, I'll be I've too. More on the, the boy side of things. <laughs> I'm <just> saying. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a thing. Okay, I do have a question about yeah. that I have to mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Would post things on mm-hmm. my profile mm-hmm. that just did yeah, not yeah. need to be shared, yeah. and I addressed it. Yeah, it still happened, mm-hmm. So I, I did block her. That's yeah. the only person I have ever blocked. Yeah. I don't block people yeah. that are political, politically mm-hmm. different. Yeah, I, you know, as long as people can keep a tame mouth. And you know, I'm okay, but I mean at some point, sometimes if you've addressed it, it I don't know that that's necessarily ghosting, but no, yeah. sometimes you do have to Blah. walk away from a situation right. where somebody just refuses to change. No, you're right. And that's not ghosting because you've addressed the situation. Mm-hmm. Well, and and your daughter did say. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's important part is teaching students, <laughs> so we talk about this in conflict resolution, we talk about our students all the time, it's mm-hmm. important to address the conflict. You're adults. Mm-hmm we're image bearers we believe that jesus created that we were created in the image of god we believe we have to look at other people as image bearers and we have to address that conflict because no matter how thin the pancake is there's always two sides right and you have to address it so addressing it and saying, okay if we cannot resolve this that's okay i was just that's like great. you're making things public but yeah now. but also <laughs> i'm going to go back to that really, on the, the facebook etiquette one of the things that we teach our students right now as leaders is to change your sentence to where no one should be posting on your <coughs> website. So to go back and change your well, sentence. Well, she'd
2: be posting in a, inside a thing. It would be even so in Well,
1: they should, yeah, they should be. The you should have comments. to give permission on what shows up. In fact, like I have this setting sometimes, like if you want to repost from somebody's wall, they have to go back in and request to share it. Okay. The same thing should be, like there are certain people that have to ask permission to tag me in the thing. Or to tag my name. That's something we teach our students because now professionals will look on all their social media, when they're looking at jobs. That's the first thing. Honestly, when I, looked, when I was looking for interns, um, when I was, eligible, I was in charge of recruiting for my interns, the first thing I looked before even asking asked for resumes, I looked at their social media. I decided based on their submission media if I wanted to pursue even looking at them as a resume. Because if their social media, didn't matter if it was them posting, if other people were posting on that, that meant that there's some kind of openness allowing that to come on their page and not addressing it in a healthy way. So their social media for this generation is an extension of who they are and their identity. So even teaching them how to have the correct settings and then how to address when someone posts something that you don't disagree and after you talk to them about it, then when is it okay to block somebody? Those are important conversations that you do need to have. When is it okay to unfollow somebody? When well, it's cool that you should not be following somebody because what they post and what that can lead you down to? Because right now, to be honest with you, real talk, pornography is a huge issue. You ask uh, mission agencies, ma'am, and I what's the number one reason why students aren't going to field right now? It's not finances, it's pornography. ma'am. You know how you get into the Bible app? I'm just saying, it is such a big deal in a lot of social media. They can come up in different ways based on who they follow. So and they don't realize that. a mm-hmm. uh, Post uh, uh, just a case in point. My goddaughter, mm-hmm. beautiful girl, going to University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Posted something she shouldn't have posted, and they press charges against yes. her. So one of her one of probation for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, no social media. Yeah. No social media for a year. Yeah. So I don't really know. Yeah. But. No. She gave that, but it was there. you know, it's like I told her, I said, honey, you, if you post it for five minutes, it was only five minutes, but that's an eternity. And it never goes away. In fact, there was a, a case that was, it's one of the ones that we teach with our leadership and talk about what you post matters. Uh, she was the marketing is at Vimeo, which is a video site. Mm-hmm. She was from South Africa. And she was getting ready to go on a plane and go to South Africa with her family, and she did a tweet that she thought was funny and it had a racial slur in it and when she got off the plane she was met with riots and she was met with they read a letter of she was fired and to this day she's not been able to be hired at any major company because of a tweet and she only had 200 followers but it went viral cnn picked it up pvc picked it up she literally, when she landed 13 hours later, there are people at the gate throwing things at her. What you say matters. And those are important things that you have to teach students when it comes to, we could do a whole session and seminar on teaching your students how to handle social media because it is an extension of who they are. And now that because it is an extension of who they are, we have to teach them how to use that and how to frame that, and you're right. And here's one of the big things that is important for you to teach this. Gen Z, this is part of bumping up and healthy stress and anxiety. All right, understanding consequences. All right, this is something we struggle with at the university all the time. Um, at LSU, I was on the disciplinary committee um, with the university, and the biggest issue we have is cheating. All right, I understand that cheating is wrong, and cheating is wrong. But um, I was on the disciplinary committee for the first round of a couple years ago, there was a um, an incident with a student and he died, not to me. Um, it was a haven incident. And one of the things that we were bumping up against as we were doing our investigation was the students did not see that it was wrong what they were doing. They don't see that what they're doing is uh, wrong. goes back to because their moral compass is no longer, what our moral compass is, their compass is safety. So one of the lessons I learned from that is if you had framed our questions differently, I think we would have gotten different responses. So you have gotta help them understand that consequences are about safety now, not about morality. And that consequences follow them no matter what. And jail is real and it will hurt their financial future. And that, and you start, and said back to the way you talk to them. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about ruining their life, they don't care. They're like, no, it's gone. Well, you start to talk about like this will impact your financial future. Well, she'll have a record. She she had to go jail. To there there will be jobs that she will not be able to apply for. It what has impacted her financial. So when you start talking to your students, you have to start using the verbiage that they're connected with because they no longer connect with what we would connect with. When you talk about the moral compass, you have to use a safety compass and what what identifies with them: financial security, security, safety, all of that. So helping them understand how the consequences affect those things. I had, no. it, it's a different, path. yeah, it's completely. Okay, so um, I've bumped into now two middle schoolers mm-hmm. who are both now very fearful, and uh-huh. it kind of comes down to at least one of them, as point blank stated, well, you know, I, I never know if there's going to be a shooting. Yeah, I'm going to live through the day. Mm-hmm. So how do we? Mm-hmm. Help them. Yeah. Because I mean it is a fact of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is out there. Mm-hmm. I mean for me I'm like, well mm-hmm. protect yourself, but you go about your business. I mean yeah. that's that's life. But for them, it mm-hmm. is so consuming. Everything mm-hmm. is about that. Yeah. And I don't know how to reach it. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a very good point. About that. So one of the biggest things that you have got to start doing is helping them have another narrative. And that is that their safety in their code that lies within Jesus and in their community. And yes, there are dangerous things out there, but you've got to start giving them a narrative that is different they can hold on to. Instead of the fear-based narrative being told constantly, you have to go back and on top of it tell a different one. Yes, there are bad things in this world. We can't control. But here's what we can control. Here's what I can teach you to control. Here's what I can give you to help you understand that. So I can teach you to control this by the way that you interpret it. I can teach you how to cope with this by thinking on these things. There's a beautiful scripture in Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Teaching these students how to start setting their mind on different things. That's one of the biggest gaps that we're missing is how you train the mind to go into the place that you need to train it to. Which is another of their to watching soap. They'd rather ghost it, turn everything off, and shut down, than to process it. So you have to go and start helping them rediscover how to process it. So you can say, yes, you're right, it's a scary world out there. And you're right, you could die today. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you the story of a man Jesus. And if they are not Jesus, then one of the things that i and I'll send you a list. We've started collecting, I don't know how many of y'all do story in the Bible, but we do stories of hope. And so I'll give you their 16 stories of hope that we're kind of put together and teaching them these stories. So these are the stories I'm hoping to to grab. When you start to feel scared, always start telling yourself the story. You have to start giving them active learning, active things that change their mind and thought patterns. Because that's one of the things that we've learned about this developmental stage issue that we're having with screen time and the changing of the synapses is they're not learning to how to actively tell their mind to change direction. They'll turn it off. They'll sit there and stare for four hours. at so pain And not
2: think about it.
0: Can I talk some Absolutely. Yes, your please. Place. Yes. One of the best things you can do is share a story from your own life when you faced mm-hmm. a similar a similar kind of thing mm-hmm. and how you processed it, how you dealt with it how you move forward. Um, So oftentimes we, these kids want intimacy with you. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking sexual, I'm Mm -hmm. talking human intimacy. Mm -hmm. And for you to see a kid is struggling so much that they're cutting, she's cutting herself. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about a time when I felt this way too. Let me tell you about a time. Let me tell you about me, because they don't think you ever dealt with things like that. They don't think you've ever had a problem. They don't think that you've ever struggled with something. And so to to lower yourself down mm-hmm. to what they're dealing with and tell them what you do mm-hmm. is huge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And to acknowledge that it's okay to be afraid. That's mm-hmm. one thing that our society, going back to what they're learning in school, it's you need to be brave, you need to be used to, you need to, you need to acknowledge this. But to acknowledge, it's okay to be afraid. I mean, it is scary, that's, it's not okay to stay afraid. And one of the things that's important, and I, I love what Josh said, because it's so important for you to have shared communication with them and share those stories, and then to encourage them, once again, they've got to learn an outlook. So helping them figure out their personality. Are they a drawer? Are they a writer? Do they play music? Is running good for them? Helping them figure out what can help take all of those emotions and get it out in a healthy way. And like you said, tell him something that works for you. Say, when life comes at me like this, and you know what, I don't feel God. God's silent right now. I know he's there, but right now I I don't feel close to him. And I'm in a lot of pain right now too. And I'm scared and I don't know what to do. But here's where I'm at. And here's what I know I do. Uh, one of my favorite professors in seminary said, the best thing you can teach people is sometimes you have to act your way into a better field. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs>
1: and I Kendrick. am... Yep. Yeah, old Pete. Dr. <laughs> Kendrick. Um, and I don't know how many of y'all... If uh, if you, if you, A great resource to follow um, on Facebook is our Georgia BCM uh, Facebook page. There's a lot of articles that I posted there. Um, and one of the articles that was posted recently uh, the lead singer from Skillet talked about mm-hmm. you, you see emotions are driving a lot of people and um I just finished a sermon series about emotions emotions are not the boss of us but we have allowed our culture to use emotion in fact, so I was an English major words are a lot of fun for me And to watch the, the changing of the word love because of emotions instead of what it used to mean is interesting to watch the changing of the fact that our society has moved toward becoming emotionally based instead of being logical based. It's been interesting to kind of watch that. Um, and there's a lot of our churches and a lot of people that would say, we tend to be more emotion driven. And one thing to see in Scripture is the tension is good. There's tension throughout the whole Scripture. If we're a man, if functions in proper tension. We right. see that all throughout the structure, Attention is good, there has to be tension with the head knowledge and the emotions. And so that's important, as it help the students go through fear, is that tension. So it's okay to feel that way. But here's what we need to think. They're not being taught the thinking part, but the moving part, the active part, of and feeling themselves to the fear. And it's not easy. We're also trying to figure out this is, listen, this is all brand new stuff. This generation is still in morphine. And that's why this has been such an interesting. You're, you, you, there's a lot of debates right now about humanity because they're not talking about the other generation. Every other generation has kind of had some indicators. They kind of saw where this is going. There's some similarities. Yes, this generation is in reaction to this generation. This generation is completely different than anything we've ever seen. And that's why you know, anthropologists, you know, sociologists, psychologists, medical doctors, you know, practitioners, academics, are trying to figure out where this generation is going because it's not so we're sense. So we're all just together trying to figure this out. Um, and so, but I do think you guys are in an amazing um, place and opportunity to try to make a difference in the transition of this. Um, if we put our name on that email list, we get those stories out? Like, yeah, yeah, stuff. what I'll do is I'll get those from Joe. Right, and. Smarter. Um, I don't know a really welcome week, so it'll probably yeah, be the next week okay. after that. But, yes, I will send some of that research and the and, and the, the Facebook page is yeah.
0: Baptist Collegiate Ministry. Okay, yeah. if you don't have to be a campus minister, <laughs> to right. and, and we share a lot yeah. of
1: stuff on A lot of our campus ministers will write articles. And Joe um, is on a bunch of our national committees, and he'll share a lot of stuff on there. So it's a good place to go if you, you know, need some more resources.